Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about an issue that is very common, and I believe the statistics are somewhere between one in four to one in six people in the perinatal world experience this, but it is not a normal function of the body. And I am talking about urinary incontinence, peeing yourself. It has become such an issue that a lot of people just live with it and they don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to reorganize your life because you're afraid that you might leak on yourself. So to have this conversation and to offer you some solutions to this problem. I have my friend Marianne Ryan coming on. So she shares so much knowledge. Let me tell you a little bit about Marianne. So she is a physical therapist and board certified orthopedic clinical specialist. She is the owner and clinical director of Marianne Ryan Physical Therapy in New York City. She's actually just a few doors down from prenatal yoga center. And she is the award-winning author of the number one bestseller book, Baby Baby bod. And I'm sure if you've been checking out Prenatal Yoga Center on Instagram, you've seen many of our collaborative reels together and our Instagram lives together. She is a wealth of knowledge. And in this podcast, we talk about the different types of incontinence, the role of Kegels, how to resolve some of these issues, some things that can make incontinence worse. It's a really great conversation that if you're having any sort of leakage, you deserve to live a better life than that. So please enjoy this conversation. Now, before we get to that, I just want to talk about some things happening at Prenatal Yoga Center. We're starting to head into the holidays right now as we're as this is being recorded, and we're starting to add more in-person classes and workshops. So check out our schedule for that as we continue to layer in more classes. But we are also very committed to continuing our online offerings. It is absolutely thrilling to me that we have community members that are all around the world. And what's been really exciting now that we've been online for almost three years is I have students returning for their second pregnancies with us, and we've only known each other through the online community. And it's really exciting to see that we can come together and support one another through this whole perinatal community. And we don't need to see each other face-to-face. We can still hold the space for each other online, in person, however we meet. So keep an eye on our schedule for additional classes. You can check that out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. While you're there, if you want to stay in the loop of all the things happening on the on our in our class, in our community, as well as learn about the latest podcasts, as well as learn about the different sales and specials we have, as well as receive some videos that I often send out, go ahead and get on our newsletter. And when you do, you'll also get our free downloadable five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. So you get a little gift for joining us weekly on our newsletter. And then the last thing I want to share is about the teacher training. One of my true passions, I absolutely love the opportunity to work with yoga teachers and share with them our methodology, our prenatal methodology and our postnatal methodology. So if that's something that speaks to you, also check that out while you're on our website. And again, just a thank you. Thanks for being part of our community. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for being part of our class. Thank you for the support. It means absolutely the world to me. And if you wouldn't mind, would you take a moment to head to wherever you're listening to this podcast from and leave a rating interview? It helps people find us. It helps us expand our community. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Marianne. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Marianne. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Deb? I'm okay. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because we've been working with each other online for several months, and I love that you are literally down the street from me in the city in our in our place of business, and I haven't, can't believe I haven't had you on the podcast yet, so I'm super excited. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited also. So we're going to talk about one of my favorite things. I think you know by now, I love talking about the pelvic floor and understanding it better. So today we're going to talk about a topic that I think some people are shy about, but and I'd be curious if you even have the, um, the statistics, but incontinence, I feel like it's something that it's not talked about, but a lot of people suffer from this. So I think it'll be a really good conversation. But before we dive into that, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what led you to pelvic floor work as your focus in your work. Well, I've been a physical therapist for a long time and I became early on a specialist in spinal health and also um, from with some of my spinal patients which included back and also neck pain, this is many years ago, I didn't understand what was happening with their mouth. And then those who it's, it's, those who can't do teach, um, I ended up starting to teach the TMJ joint at um, the NYU Dental School. And I did that for about five years because it was an extension of the spine. So then naturally, it, uh, an extension of the spine on the other uh, side of things was the pelvis. So I got more interested in pelvic health. Um, over 20 years ago, I took a really good course with Peter O'Sullivan, who's one of the original Australians who did studies on the pelvic floor and how it um, is part of the core system and how it stabilizes the spine. And he did a, basically a whole book on it. And um, so I got more and more interested in pelvic health and physical therapists were, you know, there was more and more information coming out and courses that I could take. And then I became a pelvic health specialist. And here we are now. <laughs> You've been doing exactly. this for a long, long time. And I mm -hmm. love that you really focus on educating people instead of scaring people. So I appreciate that from your work. All mm -hmm. right. So we're going to talk about urinary incontinence because there is fecal incontinence. We're not really getting into that today. So let's talk about what is urinary incontinence. And then, as I mentioned, how prevalent is it? I feel like it's a lot more prevalent than people realize. Mm -hmm. A simple definition of urinary incontinence is um, involuntary leakage of urine. And then there's many different, we'll, we'll talk about the different types um, yeah. of incontinence. And there's many different statistics. I've heard one in six, one in four, you know, women have incontinence and the number pro the numbers probably aren't really true because women tend not to complain about incontinence. We're used to leaking things, you know, when we have our periods and stuff. And um, women tend to just use a pad and, and they just figure, well, this is, you know, it's just, you know, normal. Um, this is just part of what my body's like. When a man becomes incontinent, he immediately goes to a pelvic health physical therapist and gets it fixed. <laughs> <laughs> And they're they also, not used to leaking things. Yeah. So I think the stats are it, it takes a woman anywhere from seven to six years to even mention it to her doctor. Seven so, years? Yes. Yes. So women are more and more aware these days because I think of social media. Um, and even just when I was writing my book, I don't know, it was, I started writing my book probably 10 years ago. And there was like a three-year period where I was writing and I was very involved with different um, social media groups who were women's health specialists. And the more and more that we spoke first in LinkedIn, then it became a, a Facebook page, the more and more women, other women who aren't, aren't weren't uh, health professionals or fitness trainers um, or yoga specialists, um, the more 
the normal woman became aware that, oh, gee, this isn't normal and there's treatment for it. I don't have to just live with it. So I'm always excited about talking about it because it's not normal. And it means that the core system's off. And when you're incontinent, usually you have um, more instability of the spine. So it's usually an indication of many other things along with just, you know, leaking the urine. So just leaking the urine isn't what I worry about as a physical therapist. It's I, I try to uh, see where, where else in the system that treatment may be needed. Let's actually dive into that a little bit. So I'm totally throwing, I'm like, I'm going to follow the questions. In fact, I'm clearly not. So if someone has, I often think of as the leakage is the symptom that someone finally pays attention to. It's like their back could be hurting for a while and they're like, ah, my back's hurting. But it's the leakage that can really change someone's lifestyle because they may not feel confident about going out or they may feel like, oh, I have to take extra clothes or whatever. So mm-hmm. what might what could be some symptoms that are not as loud as leakage that someone may want to pay attention to uh, any pain period um discomfort feeling you know weakness um abdominal bloating um you know con- there's tons um things like constipation can be involved with it because if you, you know, one way that you can have incontinence is not just weak pelvic floor muscles, but you can have pelvic floor muscles that are too tight. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times with that, people are, um, have, incont- you know, they have, um, constipation and it's, it, it's a, it's, it's actually a really hard question to answer. Cause I, I think actually women pay more attention to pain rather than, um, incontinence, but they're becoming more and more aware. So, <laughs> Interesting. And maybe it's my background as a performer, as a dancer, that I often had pain and it just was like, um, you know, something sore because of something. Yeah, just I ignore did. It. Yeah. And yeah, it I just was, just was life. Yeah. Yesterday I was treating a dancer who she's a Broadway dancer or whatever, and she's um, 27 weeks pregnant. And she's like, I don't know, I had a really problem doing the such and such split. There's different types of splits. And I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> That's her pubic well, bone. It's like and, further and, diastasis. Know, I don't know why you might, you know, my pubic symphysis, which is the front of the pelvis, why it's hurting. You know, I've been doing two hours of the elliptical per day. I was like, no. <laughs> So pain. All right. So if someone is having pain, they should definitely pay attention. All right. So I'm going to pull us back to the conversation of incontinence. So we talked a little bit in the past about, or you mentioned there's different types of incontinence and Mm -hmm. we just went with urinary incontinence as leakage, but let's talk about the different types. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So there's basically three different types of incontinence that we kind of classify or really four actually, but the first is stress incontinence. And it's quite often very um, common in women after childbirth or even while being pregnant or obese women. Um, And also, you know, men also can have uh, stress incontinence. And it's usually when you leak pee, when you sneeze, cough, laugh, when you're exercising, jumping. Um, when's the last time you jumped on a trampoline? Recently, we have one in my backyard. So, oh, um, cool. <laughs> and how did everything come out? Nothing <laughs> came out. So great. Yay. Um, Actually, when I've, I've had, you know, I have, I've recovering from COVID and I've been coughing a lot. I'm like, yay, my pelvic floor is happy. Nothing's coming out and I'm coughing. That's wonderful. I That's know. wonderful. And there's, there's tricks to that too. Um, instead of like holding your breath when you're coughing, um, some things you can do is a quick pelvic floor contraction, but we can talk about that. Um, so that's stress incontinence. And it can also be caused things like uh, heavy weightlifting. Several years ago, there was videos going around about CrossFit, which I think there's nothing wrong with doing things like CrossFit, but you got to build up to it. But women were lifting weights that were so heavy for them, and then they were urinating. And they had, like, pictures of, like, the urine on the floor of the gym and interviewing, like, a GYN saying, well, that's just part of, you know, that's just normal for the, you know, CrossFit. Um, so there was a lot of anti-CrossFit because of it. But, like, heavy weightlifting, if you're, not, if you're not built up for it or if you're using poor form, you might get some stress incontinence. Then there's something called urge incontinence where there's, like, um, a really strong urge to urinate and you just can't control it. It just, you know, there's an involuntary contraction of the bladder and you can lose your whole bladder. And one name for that is key and lock syndrome. So some women, when they go to turn the key to get getting back into their home, they just, you know, 
um, lose their whole bladder or even visually seeing the toilet. When you know you have to go to the bathroom to see the toilet, boom, it comes out. So that's called urge incontinence. And then there's something called frequency, which a lot of people have, which is the abnormal amount of pain throughout the day or even nighttime. And that can be a learned behavior where people just keep on forcing themselves to go to the bathroom too much. So each type of that incontinence needs a different type of treatment. That's why we classify it. Then there's something called mixed, which can be a little bit of everything. It sounds, it sounds a little confusing for some. They might be like, oh my gosh, especially the mix. Like I have a little of that, a little of that. So what are some without, obviously treatment is very individualized, but I feel yes. like someone has incontinence and they're like, oh, I better just Kegel. What are some differences in the different, and maybe this is too broad of a question. You can let me know, but what are some of the differences in how someone may want to go about? Now, clearly they should see a pelvic floor PT, but if they mm-hmm. can't quite get in with someone yet, what are some ideas of treatments that someone can start to be aware of with the different types of incontinence? Okay. So stress incontinence, where you leak pee when you sneeze, cough, or laugh, or exercise, there's usually a muscular weakness in the pelvic floor muscles. Now, people think, um, well, let's just do Kegels until we turn purple in the face. I don't use that as a treatment. I might have a patient become aware of how to contract the pelvic floor muscles um, because more than 50% of women actually do it in the wrong the wrong way, and they actually bear down and push down rather than pulling upwards. Um, so I'll probably teach them how to um, activate their core muscles, which are all part of the, you know, the pelvic floor is the bottom of the core. So that would be one type of treatment. Along with that, with strengthening, you also have to have the, um, the right alignment and also breathing pattern. So if you're the type of person who goes to open up a jar of pickles and if you, you know, you're really kind of like, oh, you're trying to open it, you hold your breath and you tighten up your whole body. People do that with other just daily activities. And that's actually, that can actually cause stress incontinence where you're just holding your breath. So when you're exerting yourself, the best thing to do is try to exhale and the exhale should amount, should match the amount of uh, effort of the task. So opening up a jar of pickles, um, lifting up, uh, you know, a carton of eggs. You don't have to really exhale that much. Say if you have a newborn baby, um, you know, what are they, eight pounds, seven pounds? It depends on how big the kid is. You know, you might have to do a little gentle exhale, you know, so that you're not bracing and, and holding your breath. But if you have a toddler who's, you know, 30 pounds, you're going to hold your breath, and that might, you know, uh, cause some stress incontinence. Other things that cause stress incontinence is if your muscles are too tight, which a lot of people can't wrap themselves um, there. You know, they can't get around understanding it when muscles are really tight. They just figure, well, why isn't that holding the bladder up? And I'm not, you know, why is that, you know, not preventing peeing? Well, a muscle can be really tight, but it needs to, in order to have full strength, it needs to be able to elongate and then contract and, like and shorten. Like a trampoline. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, but the trampoline also has, because in my book, I kind of talk about how the pelvic floor is more like a trampoline rather than a hammock. Um, so that that's a good um, example, but, um, you know, it's just, so some women with stress incontinence are frustrated because I tell them, no, first we have to learn how to relax and lengthen the muscles, then we'll work on strengthening. And it's not just Kegels, it's, it's a total body treatment that we concentrate on. Urge incontinence, a lot of it is behavior ma- uh, modification. So that's the turn, uh, key in, in lock syndrome. You see a toilet before you, you know, unzip your pants and go to the bathroom, you lose your bladder. Um, a lot of that is behavior modification. They might also be um, under a lot of stress, and their stress reaction could be to lose the urine also. So with the behavior modification, which I think with some of the questions we were going to go over, I was going to talk about that later. But um, Yeah, we can jump into it now. I love this topic. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, so with that, it's learning how to relax and doing some distraction things. So when people have that problem where they turn the key, they lose their bladder, I'll tell them, Prepare yourself that you're going to take your keys out 
and and try little baby belly breaths, not um, what you do when you're, you know, uh, doing some of the deeper yoga uh, breaths that you teach. Um, it's it's more just very gentle um, breathing in the uh, lower pelvic floor, the lower abdominal area, just for relaxation. Also, just preparing your mind that you're going to, t- you know, take the key out visually in your brain. You're going to turn the key. So things that you can do that will kind of break up the pattern are things like you can go up and down on your toes or kind of, or you can even squeeze your toes as a distraction. Then very gradually and, and, um, slowly walk towards the toilet. If you rush towards it, you're going to lose your urine, um, because that's a different nervous system. So that's with urge incontinence. So I had a very interesting patient who lost all of her urine every single morning, uh, she would get out of bed and boom. And it was really embarrassing. And, um, she had other, you know, her strength was great. She was able to, and she, you know, this was happening for over 30 years after a traumatic birth experience where she had a lot of tears and stuff. So the question I had is, okay, so it happens when you wake up at night, uh, you know, uh, you know, when you wake up early in the morning, um, so are you using pads at night? So she said, no, I don't leak at night. And I was like, ah, we have a behavior problem. So what she learned was to rush to the toilet when she was initially getting over her birth trauma. Um, she had large tears. She learned a pattern of behavior of rushing out of bed and going to the bathroom. And as soon as she would start rushing, she would lose all of her urine. And I literally saw her th- three times. And um, even by the third time I saw her, she said, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm cured. Amazing. <laughs> and it was just awareness. Like, okay, instead of rushing, slowly mm-hmm. sit up, throw your legs over the side, take a breath, walk slowly. Yep. That's all it was. I remember <laughs> One of our IG lives, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you said that the bladder has the intelligence intelligence of a dog. Am I right about that? It, the gut. It, the gut. It was a okay, documentary something. I saw about the microbiome and the gut, and, and they mentioned that, you know, because there's a separate brain that controls the, your gut, and that the brain is trainable and it has the intelligence of a dog. And I was like, wow, you know, that really hit me. Like, oh, so it is trainable. Um, yeah, so maybe not just your bladder alone, but the whole, you know, your whole gut system has its own brain and, um, it is trainable. So somebody who has frequency, which is the third type of incontinence is constantly going to the bathroom. And I have a family member who does that and I'm constantly after, I'm like, let's, you know, let's not keep on going to the toilet like that. And it happened because her mother had, um, what was it, um, stones in her kidney and had an operation while she was a young child. And the mother kept on saying to her, don't hold your urine, don't hold your urine, don't hold your urine. Mm. So here she is as an adult and she can't, you know, she's constantly, we go out to dinner. She goes as soon as she's, you know, as soon as we meet, she goes again, you know, right after dinner, we might be going to a play or something. She'll go just before the play. I mean, we walk like across the street to go to the play. Um, and then of course at intermission, you know, it's, so it was basically is learned behavior. And when that happens to women, I suggest to them that, you know what, take a step back and, you know, let's first, I might even have them take a diary for a week. How many times are you going uh, throughout the day and maybe even, you know, you know, kind of in the same diary at the times mention how much your you know, fluids you're drinking and maybe that's having an effect on it. Then from there, teaching them, all right, every time you feel like you have to go to the bathroom, let's try to extend the time period in between the times you go to the toilet. And it might only be when you have the urge, try to do a little bit of a breath, wait literally 60 seconds and then slowly walk to the toilet and then go to the bathroom. Then keep on increasing that time to maybe five minutes. And you might be surprised. You might be able to go a whole hour and, you know, try distraction. Distractions don't just sit there thinking, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. You know, um, go ahead and go for a little bit of a walk. Go ahead and, you know, check out uh, what's happening on Instagram. You can look up um, our lives conversations. <laughs> if you go through one of those, that's at least 20 minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
and then go to the bathroom. I've used some of these techniques. So I had some bad, some bad habits about frequency and it often is around like, okay, I'm about to start to teach us and that's 90 minutes. Or I just go to the bathroom before. Like I got into these habits or I do a sure. lot of cycling and I'm not going to ride around and be like, ah, oh, it's going to the bathroom. So I often would I kind of trained myself like, okay, here's the time. And so I started to ask myself, like, do you really need to go to the bathroom? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'd get kind of the urge and I felt like I was training a toddler. I'm like, no, we don't, don't give into this. You're fine. <laughs> like you don't, you don't need to do it. You're fine. And I would do some of the techniques, like I'm going to breathe. I'm going to wiggle my toes. I'm going to go up and down on my balls, of my feet. And I let it, and I would just really focus on relaxing because if I went the other way, I'm like, no, I'm going to hold it. And they get more tense that didn't mm-hmm. help. So right. I felt like I was training my bladder, my bladder. And I'm like, I'm not going to give in to you a little, little bladder, like, like a toddler. So it talk, really, talk it, to that bladder. I did. I talked yeah, to my now, bladder. Do you find, did you find that you developed this behavior during and after your pregnancies? Was, did it get I more? I think it was more just in my mind. Like, okay, you've got, I also drink a lot of fluids throughout the day. I constantly have two or three beverages. Like I'm often doing coffee, water, tea, um, <laughs> all day long. Well, it's about three. And then it's just like tea and water, tea and water. So I'm constantly hydrating. And then I know that I have 90 minutes where I can't run to the bathroom because I'm mm-hmm. teaching, especially when I'm doing it live on zoom. When I was just in the studio, I could put them at a child's post if I really needed to and run to the bathroom, but I can't. So I think it was a learned behavior. And like, and I also used to be a performer, like you can't go if you're on stage, you know? So I think I just trained myself. You're not going to have this time to go. So go ahead of time. Okay. So I'll talk about uh, fluids in a half a second with frequency. Also, um, I mean, up until maybe 10 years ago, I was getting up twice a night to pee. You know, um, I just would just like kind of, you know, how sometimes you stir awake. Well, I'd immediately get up and I'd pee. Yeah. So when I was taking some more of my coursework, um, one of my teachers, mentors said, just say to yourself, when you wake up, do you really, you know, not even do you really have to pee? See if you can fall asleep, fall back to sleep without peeing. And that cured it. Well, I think I told you I tried that. And then I'm like, do I have to pee? I think I really do. Do I bladder? What's going on? And then I'm like, yeah, I really have to pee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but instead of putting the question, do you really have to pee? Because then it's like, well, yeah, kind of, you know, maybe, you know, uh, it's see if you can fall asleep without peeing. Yeah. So it takes that question out. But um, with what, with drinking, a lot of people reduce the amount that they drink to prevent incontinence. Now, you know, if you're having nighttime problems, you might want to stop taking fluids in a few hours before you go to sleep. But if you drink too little, that'll actually cause bladder irritants, which we haven't even spoken about. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I do want to get into the bladder irritants. So we're going to take a super quick break and then we'll talk about bladder irritants because I fall into many of those categories. We'll be right back. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. All right, bladder irritants. I know that two of them, like caffeine and, and alcohol, I love, love a glass of wine. So I know that I fall into two of those at least. So let's talk about what are some bladder irritants. Okay. So without even defining an irritant, not having enough fluids like water can um, increase the concentration of the urine where it becomes an irritant to the bladder and the bladder is going to want to get rid of it. So you need to drink enough water, but there's a problem if people drink too much fluids where you actually throw your electrolytes off. 
Um, and that can be a whole nother problem. So when people say, oh, I drink as much as I weigh or, or one third of my, I don't know, there's all these different formulas. I, I basically uh, learned from a urogynecologist who I adore. She just tells patients, drink to quench your thirst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Simple. You know, don't force, you know, I, so many people saying, oh, I didn't drink enough water. Drink to quench your thirst. If you're thirsty, then drink some more. Um, if you're peeing and your, your urine's really dark, you might need a little more fluids, um, you know, uh, because uh, the more concentrated it is, the more irritants that you can kind of develop. So as far as irritants go, there's a lot of different irritants, and I think it's perfectly fine, and there's so many health benefits, apparently, to drinking two co- cups of coffee a day um, with recent studies. Define and, how but, big those cups are. Um Probably more than what I drink. I, I, I actually drink like two. I, I make an eight ounce cup of coffee that I always finish only half. And apparently newer studies are drinking two real cups of coffee. And I forget how many milligrams of caffeine is supposed to be very healthy for your heart. Okay. So there you go. So people, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people saying, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about, you know, but, um, that's that's recent studies. Um, also, other irritants can be um, sugars, uh, caffeine, as we mentioned. It can be alcohol. Um, at one point, we weren't letting people have like acetic foods and drink because we thought that was an irritant. Like you know, so it's like citrus and tomatoes and. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever said tomatoes, but I mean a lot of this has changed. This is back in the time where everybody's using biofeedback, hmm. you know. Um, for treatment. So it's, if you see a pattern of behavior, oh gee, I had, you know, a glass of, um, you know, you know, app, not apple juice, but like a grapefruit juice or something like that. And, and, you know, it kind of felt like I had to pee more, you know, maybe it is, you know, that, but, you know, and anything to excess, excess alcohol, excess, um, caffeine, you know, they're irritants. Seltzer. <laughs> I think there are some people who do say the, the seltzer might, you know, kind of cause it. I know that if you have gut problems, um, you know, having seltzer can also be something that you need to eliminate. I personally had a gut problem about, oh, 25 years ago or so. And I, I was actually diagnosed with ulcerative colitis mm. and I actually did a lot of research. This was in early Google days and I had some books on it where I actually cured it with a, a diet that didn't even take six full weeks. And one was to give your gut a rest, um, you know, to only eat like say three times a day and um, don't do things like uh, drinking anything with any type of calories in it, seltzer, don't chew gum, anything to get the um, juices in the gut to kind of, you know, start producing the acids and stuff. It was mm. kind of, it was interesting. So as far as seltzer goes, I don't tell anybody not to drink it, but other people may. All right. So that's really interesting. So those are some of the irritants. Let's talk a little bit about some students will be like, do I really need to attend to leakage? Will it just go away? Cause I feel like, um, Sometimes care providers will be like, just write it off as, oh, leakage. It's so common. You know, it will go away on its own after pregnancy. Can you talk a little bit about the reality of everything's kind of clearing up on its own? Yeah. As far as pregnant and postpartum women are concerned, they're not told it'll go away. It's just part of being postpartum or pregnant, they're told, you know, along with things like pain, which is ridiculous because there's treatment for all that stuff. And they're just not referred to physical therapists who can, you know, treat them for that. Um, will it go away? Uh, right after birth, most women have some type of incontinence for a couple of weeks, um, where they might have some urine leakage. It might take a month or, or even two to kind of resolve, but will it magically go away? I don't think so. I mean, you know, unless they, they're doing certain strengthening exercises, you know, core strengthening exercises that are helping them and they might just by chance have it go away because they're doing something that um, is helping them to prevent the leakage. But I don't think, you know, just sitting on your duff and um, doing, you know, not doing anything about it. No, it's not going to go away, even though it's very common. All right. That's, I'm glad because again, we don't want people to think I'll just kind of wait it out. Cause I have heard students be like, I'm, you know, I've told it will just go away. It'll clear up on its own. I'm like, I don't think so. But you know, <laughs> I don't always want to burst their bubble. All right. So, 
we talked about people can have a tight pelvic floor and they may not know what that would be, what that would indicate. So what are some symptoms that someone has a lot of tightness and tension in their pelvic floor? So if you palpate or feel your pelvic floor and around your vagina, and if it's painful to, you know, as you press in, that is a sign of a tight pelvic floor. If you insert a tampex or having intercourse hurts, that's usually tight pelvic floor. It could also be many other things causing that. There can be some skin differences and problems, you know, uh, things like things that are called vestibulitis going on. Um, but that's a tight pelvic floor. If you have constipation, that could be caused by a tight pelvic floor. So pain that's not normal, possibly urine leakage is um, can be caused by tight pelvic floor. So pain, leakage, um, uh, one of the consequences of a tight pelvic floor could be constipation. Or if you're very constipated, that can cause a tight pelvic floor because you're pushing down and bearing down a lot, and that uh, strains the pelvic floor muscles. I had a student tell me, she's like, I'm still leaking and I've been doing extra Kegels. And she's like, and I'm leaking worse. I'm like, that is something that if you're doing a behavior and things are getting worse, <laughs> let's look at the behavior and see, is it helping or hindering? Right. She might have been making it tighter rather than learning to first relax and elongate. Exactly. And then learning to, yeah. All right. So the next question actually came from a student. So I had somebody ask me about pelvic congestion, which I'd actually never heard about before. So I looked it up. And since I knew we were talking about incontinence, I'm like, oh, I saw it had a relationship to incontinence. So I thought this is the perfect time to ask about that. Can you explain what is pelvic congestion and what does one do about that? Okay, so pelvic congestion is usually um, the symptoms are you, you can have pain either during or following uh, intercourse. Um, you can have pain around your menstrual cycle. This is in all the in the pelvic region, and after certain activities such as biking or you know horseback riding, um, anything that puts pressure there. And unfortunately, it's often misdiagnosed because you can go to your GYN for an exam and you'll, you'll have a normal exam and, it's, and it's, uh, quite often they can't see it visually. So what they need to do is either CAT scan, ultrasound, or an MRI to see if there's something called it, of, uh, what's going on, the congestion, they call it, around the organs um, and say around the uterus. And what it's caused by is varicose veins. You know, those veins that kind of pop out of your yeah. leg. Um, so that those veins fill up with blood and they cause a lot of pressure. And the treatment for that after it's finally diagnosed is either hormonal medications or ablation, which is um, not ablation, embolization, which they actually kind of like um, put something to scar down that vein so oh. that the blood doesn't flow through it anymore. So, and that's, um, you know, a whole procedure that's done. And a lot of times that kind of, you know, helps with it. It can be caused by hormones. Um, some people are more prevalent to having varicose veins. And those are the people who are hypermobile. Um, the people who have like fingers that they can bend backwards or a thumb towards their, um, their wrist. Um, or if you see some people standing, you probably see this in class where their knees kind of bend backwards. Those are people who are hypermobile and they have more of a tendency to have varicose veins. Yeah, I fall into that category. I'm very hypermobile. <laughs> but you, you have your strength. Can we just talk about just real quick yeah. um, how to strengthen the pelvic floor yeah. and what's involved with it? I would love so, that. Yeah, we kind of touched about how Kegels basically are not going to strengthen your pelvic floor. It's good for awareness, but what has to happen, and we kind of touched on breathing and alignment, what has to happen, so if we just even talk about childbirth and pregnancy, during pregnancy, you learn to kind of stand up and almost arch your back. And in order to stand up against gravity with the front of your belly being so heavy, your buttocks muscles have to kind of squeeze really tight. Mm -hmm. And after birth, you have these elongated stomach muscles that are not uh, strong. They're weakened because they've been stretched. And you go back into that same 
pregnancy posture and some people keep it for the rest of their lives where their butt muscles are really clenching they arch their back and they kind of move around in what i call extension dominance you know there's people who i see in my practice and um I'll say to them, do you realize you're walking with your neck muscles rather than your hip muscles? <laughs> um, because this is what it was alert behavior. So the first thing that has to be done is one is an alignment change. It's teaching, um, so we're, you know, I'm just focused on women right now, but it's teaching somebody to restack their pel- their rib cage over the pelvis. The rib cage is usually tilted backwards because you had to make room for baby to grow. So that you have to restack the um, rib cage over the pelvis instead of having it tilting backwards. And as soon as you do that, you'll feel more tension in the stomach. And it's I like doing it with my patients because they get it immediately like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that. And then we could get into more detail about the flaring out of the rib cage, but um, we will. And then from there is. Uh, breath work. So we were talking about before when you try to open that pickle jar that you hold your breath so that you learn to exhale. And that is the proper way to train your core muscles to be activated and to be stabilizing while you're moving your legs and arms around. I'm much so uh, making it very simplified so that if you're not working with your alignment, if you're not working with your breathing, you know, um, patterns, Getting all of those devices that measure your pelvic floor, you can have it on your phone and see how tight you can make your pelvic floor. Some of them you can will train you to you know how to uh, train you to relax, which is great, but it's not going to work unless you integrate into functional movement with good alignment and breathing patterns. So mm-hmm. it's not all about Kegels, gals. <laughs> no, I 100% agree. One of the main things in our teacher training that we do is is finding that alignment and finding the breath work. The asana is added to that, but without that foundation, things mm-hmm. don't really uh, stack up well. They don't, you know, we can throw different poses on there, try to strengthen things, but really that alignment and understanding and, and proprioception, starting to feel, where is my weight? What am I doing? Where where am I sitting in my foot? Where are my hips? What am I unnecessarily squeezing? And I love that you talk about squeezing the butt because it breaks me think about going back to your earlier work with the jaw. We know there's a relationship between tension in the jaw and tension in the pelvic floor. And mm-hmm. I'm sure squeezing the butt, most people also create tension elsewhere. So we're kind yes. of full circle with that. But yeah, thank you for coming back to that. Yes, it's not all Eagles. It's that's kind of like the final for some people, but it's really coming back to that alignment, that breath, and supporting and stabilizing where we need to, and opening where we where we don't. So let's talk a little bit about. I've had some students say, "Okay, I'm a little." I always mention, I'm "Like, okay, let me try that sentence again because I got a little rambly." All right, so I often mention to my students, as soon as they have anything going on at their body that's really outside my scope, I'm like, oh, you should see a pelvic floor PT. And many of them kind of smile and nod. And one of them finally said, she's like, it kind of scares me. What do they do? And I saw pelvic floor PT postpartum because my pelvic floor is a hot mess. So can you talk a little bit about what someone can expect when they see a pelvic floor PT. Because I think for some, the idea feels too intimate and scary. Yeah. Um, Most pelvic floor or pelvic PTs have a good and an um, in-depth orthopedic background that you have to treat from the outside um, along with the inside. And in order to do good investigation, we do internal exams. Um, so it's usually even much quicker. We don't use a speculum. It's actually, we use a finger palpation to feel where there's tightness. And we also, um, one side of the pelvic floor might contract when you, you know, teach somebody how to kind of contract the pelvic floor. The other side might not, which is usually very, very common that one side's stronger than the other. Um, you know, cause we're really made in diagonals. Um, so you expect to have a internal evaluation. I don't always do it on the first visit because I like people to feel, you know, some type of trust. And I might also help relieve some of the pain from the orthopedic dysfunction that's occurring because of the pelvic floor dysfunction or the orthopedic dysfunction could be causing that, you know, it, they, they go hand in hand. 
And that, then from there, then you go into a movement strengthening program to help, you know, um, and also maybe a relaxation program to help figure out and uh, cure their problem. problem. In the old days, um, you know, people used to use a lot of biofeedback where people were aware whether or not they're tight or they're contracting the pelvic floor. And I personally do not use that anymore at all. Um, Maybe if somebody is really, really not understanding, um, we might do it. But it it really, I just haven't used it well over 10 years where that was like, the key thing that, okay, now we have to teach them biofeedback and teach them how to, you know, contract their pelvic floor. So you will get treatment. You might even need some trigger point release and, and other manual therapies internal and externally. And also along with that, then you're going to learn how to do something called core, core strengthening or core activation exercises along with strengthening exercises. And one of the biggest things with pelvic floor dysfunction, I think, in women is the glute meds, which are the uh, the muscles that are right behind your hip bone. They're um, the smaller part of the buttocks muscles. Those need to be strengthened. And usually the larger uh, glute muscles or butt muscles need to be relaxed and also the adductors. So there's a lot that goes on. Um, it's not just like, all right, we're just going to focus on the pelvic floor and that's it. That I think that's really helpful so that someone understands that it's really a whole body function, not just specifically the pelvic floor. Because it's, again, the pelvic floor is often, well, at least in my opinion, what a lot of people are realizing is like, the scary part for them, like, oh, I'm leaking or I have prolapse or something. That might be what finally tips them to seeing someone when there's really a whole body mechanics that need some attention. And including the foot. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Yeah. Including, um, you know, uh, behavior of your jaw. Some people are clenchers, which is more of a genetic thing. So we try to break up that pattern or they do things that, you know, um, that it's not just clenching, but they'll do things like biting the end, 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 um, an end of a, um, of a, a pen or, or a pencil or whatever, um, that we kind of try to break that, that pattern of behavior up also, because they are very much so involved, the mouth and also the, um, pelvic floor muscles and the mouth muscles are start as one, t- you know, your body starts as a tube. So the top of the tube is where the mouth is. The bottom is where the pelvic floor muscles are. So from that tube, then you grow a head and, and arms and everything else that they're the same embryonic tissue. So they're all involved with the same system. I remember I read a study about that years ago when I was a doula. And before that, I was a singer. And I remember my voice teacher would have me move my hips when I was getting tight in my throat. And mm-hmm. the note, like, and often what happened was at the end of a song, you kind of have the big money note and I would be singing and singing and fine. Then she would turn the page and I would be at the top of the page and already anticipating the big note at the end, which was always within my range, but I got so in my head that everything tightened and then my breath wasn't working and the note really didn't come out well. So one day she had me just move my hips like a hula hoop and then sing while I was hula hooping. And I'm like, this is so silly. And then, but the note just came flying out and it was round and spinning on the breath. And then I'm like, oh, that is so interesting. And so then when I was attending births, I was listening to the tight sound folks were making during the contractions. And so Mm -hmm. I would talk about making the open sound and that relaxed everything. So this is probably like 18 years ago, I I start telling my clients, open throat, open vagina. And I've been using it ever since. (laughs) And I just, that just came from experience. And then as I got more into the study of it, I saw there was actually data supporting that. So it was really exciting to experience it and then being able to share it. So I love that, that we're talking about that there is that connection, that embryonic connection from throat to pelvis. Thank you for sharing the science behind it instead of just my (laughs) hula hooping story. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. So you've already offered so many gems, but you've been working in the perinatal community for a long time. You're a parent yourself. What would you like to leave us with? 
that it's not normal to feel pain, incontinence. It might be common, but it's not normal that you should get some treatment. I like that. Short, simple, Period. very important. Very important. Yeah, I mean, there's self-treatment, there's exercise, there's this, but there's there are people who are trained out there who are physical therapists who can help you. And people, you know, I, you know, I just don't think we like put our foot down enough as women uh, with, you know, our doctors there. They have shorter and shor- shorter times. I think a midwife usually tends to spend a lot more time, mm-hmm. you know, with her perinatal um, clients. Um, but, you know, I, I just know a lot of OBs that they're literally given 15 minutes per patient, you know, per visit. And they have to also do the paperwork, which takes about five minutes. Yeah. So you're literally given 10 minutes and they're like, oh, OK, that, that happens during pregnancy, where by the time a woman's sent to me, usually during pregnancy, she's been in pain for more than three months. And once you're in pain for three months, your brain thinks of it as chronic pain. And it becomes a whole syndrome where it's even harder to get rid of uh, because your brain's going to have a protective mechanism of start of like actually causing the pain anytime your brain thinks you're going to be doing something that might be painful. Mm. It's it's like a weird you know protective mechanism. So it's best to get things treated right away. I love it. Straightforward. Period. Very important. All right, where can people find your work? Um, I'm actually like six doors away from you on the Upper (laughs) West Side. Yes. (laughs) Where I have a, you know, private practice, but I also do a lot of telehealth. Um, And I also do some coaching online where I've seen people like, all like, I mean, I guess the furthest is Dubai that I've visited (laughs) through telehealth uh, visits. And um, uh, they can, the website I have two websites. One's called babybodbod.com, and that's the name of my book. And then also on Instagram, you can find me at babybodprogram. And I'm sure they'll um, you'll have the connections to getting or the links in oh, your all that, well, um, in the show notes. You bet. Show notes and yeah. all over the prenatal yoga center Instagram page. Your face is there at least twice a week from our live and then the story. So no, our real, usually it's the real and then the live. So people can find you connecting to us and you're on our website too. So if anyone's like out and about and they're thinking, I want to connect with Marianne, what was that? Just go to our website. You're on our provider page. So people can find you. Yeah, and that's something I have to do with my website, but you know that I'm not, you know, as technical as you are. <laughs> I think it was, I had to, like, it was a sink or swim situation. And I actually, I like that part of it. It's gotten me kind of fun, fun and exciting. All right. Well, thank you so much. I, as you know, I love talking to you. I love picking your brain and it's been so fun collaborating with you. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just want to make as many women aware that you know, there is treatment for you, you know, for this stuff and you don't have to live with it. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.